Coming to you from Beaumont, this is your house call. The U.S. experienced a huge COVID surge in the winter months of 2022. This was fueled mainly by the Delta variant initially and then followed by the slightly milder but more contagious Omicron variant. A lot of people got sick with COVID during these months. As that surge wore off in February, our reprieve in March was short-lived. COVID cases began rising again in April. This time, the new Omicron stealth variant, BA2, was to blame for the increase in community cases. Now, as we start looking towards warmer weather, we're continuing to see significant community transmission. Hospitalizations are on the rise, and once again, we have a new variant to keep an eye on. So where do we go from here? And what should we be doing to stay safe and slow down the spread of COVID? Keep it here. The House Call Podcast has your answers. Hello and welcome to the Beaumont House Call Podcast. I'm Dr. Nick Gilpin, and my goal is to help you and your family live a smarter, healthier life. Today's conversation is about this post-fourth wave slow burn that we're experiencing right now. It's not quite a surge per se, but cases are certainly on the rise and we should be paying attention. We have Dr. Justin Skrinsky, a familiar voice to talk us through this. Just to remind you, Dr. Skrinsky is a hospital internal medicine physician at the Beaumont Royal Oak campus. He's been involved in the care of hundreds of patients with COVID-19, and he has been one of our COVID stalwarts in the quest to get good information out to the public. Hi, Justin. Hi, pleasure to join. Welcome back. Let's do this. So as I like to do in these situations, I want to put a little timestamp on things because information changes quickly. Right now it is mid-May 2022. Community transmission is high throughout most of Michigan, the Midwest, and even the East Coast. Community levels, uh, and just to differentiate that, the community levels have more to do with hospitalization numbers and hospital bed utilization, we'll talk about that a little bit more, are considered to be low throughout much of the U.S. with a few uh, pockets, I guess we could call them, of medium uh, level uh, risk in southeast Michigan and some high risk levels in the New England states. So just to frame it up again, transmission is high, but the community levels throughout most of uh, uh, the areas are considered low. So Justin, let's try to let's try to explain this because it's a bit nuanced. Um, so let's explain this to the listeners. What exactly does it mean when we say transmission is high, but the community risk level is low? Help us understand that. It seems very counterintuitive. Definitely, and and I think that was uh, you know one of the disconnects that we saw when we had our big Omicron surge is that we had these gigantic ballooning numbers, but um, and also hospitalizations as well. The mortality fortunately was not that high because again we're dealing with a different variant. Omicron just behaves a bit differently than the previous variants did. So right now we're we are seeing a lot of community transmission of COVID. Definitely are. And even in the hospitals, we are seeing some rise of COVID patients. I think one of the things to point out is that, um, you know, as the phrase goes, these are patients uh, in the hospital with COVID, not from COVID. So, and I think that just represents the higher uh, community incidence. But the idea is that we're not seeing um, this ballooning necessarily of COVID hospitalization. So people coming in with that nasty, deadly COVID pneumonia, fortunately, we are not seeing that. So uh, that is a little bit of cause for optimism. It's very, very mixed right now in terms of what we're going to see over the next few months, much less into the fall. Uh, but that is a little bit of cause for optimism right now. 
So let me pick up on a couple things that you said, because this jives with that idea that this Omicron and its many subvariants, and we'll talk about those in just a moment, they are more transmissible. They do seem to be causing less severe disease, and that is that lower index of disease severity is probably, it's hard to parse it out, right? It could be a feature of the virus itself, or it could be a feature of the, the fact that we have uh, more collective immunity to COVID as a, as a collective people, right? Most of us at this point have seen COVID in some fashion, whether by having had it before or by having been vaccinated one or two or three or four times. So collectively, we have some immune protection on board. But as the denominator goes up, right, which it is doing right now in the community, you are going to see that translate to hospitalizations. And that's pretty much exactly what we're seeing right now is, yes, those hospital numbers are starting to tick up. And even in Southeast Michigan, where we live, even the number of deaths is starting to tick up. So let's pivot now. You tell me, you know, in your day job, what are you seeing right now in the hospitals? Fortunately, uh, it is much better than it was before. Um, as you mentioned, as, as I mentioned as well, the, the numbers are going up. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think that's really the important point. I think, uh, you know, chatting with different people in the community and, and, you know, what have you, a lot of people are saying, well, you know, Omicron is not deadly. It's just the flu. Um, you know, it's just a cold now. I don't have to worry about it. And that's not true. You know, it's, it's still the same COVID that caused all those deaths only a couple months ago. So while we fortunately do have... Um, you know, lower numbers now. And, and I think what you said is exactly correct, that we have a lot of exposure to both the virus in the community as well as the vaccine in the community. Um, again, the vaccine is going to provide much more reliable protection. So that's still the way to go. You know, the way to get protected against COVID is not to be exposed to it. It's still vaccine. Yep. But because we do have that pre-existing protection, uh, we are not seeing uh, these big ballooning numbers, even though we know that Omicron and all of its children now, unfortunately, are just so incredibly transmissible compared to previous versions of COVID. Just to put a finer point on that, COVID hospitalizations um, in our healthcare system, up to nearly 200 patients now across eight hospitals, which is double what it was just two weeks ago. It's more than triple what it was from about a month ago. Um, so that kind of gives you an idea of what the pace we're on. Another metric we track is the number of healthcare workers that are out sick with COVID. We've seen that number also go up. It's about double uh, what that was in the last month. And it's the highest that it's been since early March when we had our last surge. And as we said just a moment ago, the community transmission numbers, the percentage of positive tests in the community also keeps going up. We're now sitting somewhere between say 13 and 18 percent in, in our part of Southeast Michigan. Do these patients that you're seeing in the hospital with COVID or, or hospitalized with versus for COVID, do they look any different to you than in prior uh, surges or prior COVID uh, outbreaks? They do look different. And, and fortunately, we're not, again, we're not seeing a lot of the sort of severe COVID pneumonias. Uh, that yep. was, you know, it's a very scary disease. And, and we can talk about that too. It's just, it, it's not only frightening for the people who have it, but it also, it's, it's a very difficult disease to treat. You know, seeing these patients, they're uh, they're not doing well. And so it, that takes its toll on the staff too, the, one, the ones taking care of them. But uh, fortunately, we do have a bit of a reprieve from that. So we're seeing a lot of upper respiratory symptoms. COVID can cause kind of a whole grab bag of different symptoms. So from GI to nerve issues to uh, stroke to, to respiratory stuff. So, um, you know, COVID can almost masquerade as other things. So sometimes it's a surprise these people are testing positive. Um, I will say that, um, you know, in terms of the, the mix of patients that we get, 
uh, the majority of patients that we've got who do test positive are still unvaccinated. Yeah. Uh, so still unvaccinated. Otherwise, it's just a broad spectrum, young, old, um, every, every kind of demographic you can imagine. One thing I'm hearing is uh, there's, a, there's a bit of a misperception, I think, that a lot of my friends and even some of my coworkers have been saying, oh, it's just going to keep getting milder and milder and milder. This is a good thing, right? So eventually it's going to just morph into something that is akin to a common cold. And I must admit, I, I think that that sort of anchor, uh, I feel that also, right? I want that to be the truth. But I think we have to step back and say, it doesn't have to be that way, right? It yeah. could, it could, this virus could very well mutate into something, and I'm not saying statistically it's probable, but it is possible that it could mutate into something completely different. And we see this with seasonal influenza, right? Every so often a new seasonal flu strain pops up and it completely sort of catches us off guard, catches our immune systems off guard and can cause much more severe disease. So I think we have to really snap out of that notion that this is just going to keep getting better and better, you know, until infinity. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think, you know, two key points. One, Delta variant uh, was downstream of the original COVID. Good point. Um, and that was that was an awful disease. You know, Delta was a terrible disease, very aggressive, high mortality. Um, and that was a mutation from the original COVID. So again, that's just chance that it happened to get more lethal. Um, and I think the other thing, too, is that, you know, again, COVID doesn't want anything. You know, the virus doesn't have an agenda. It doesn't have a goal. Uh, if it does want anything, it's just to reproduce yeah, and make survive. more copies, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, you know, once, once it's already made its copies and transmitted itself to the next host, it doesn't really care what happens to the first host. So whether that person does well or not is immaterial. Um, and so there's, there's no pressure for the virus to become more or less lethal necessarily, as long as it's still doing that sort of leapfrogging act where it's jumping person to person. So uh, the bottom line is it's just chance uh, whether or not this thing will get more or less lethal down the road. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that's well said. Let's talk about that um, because we do have a new sort of subvariant, if you will, uh, on the menu, and that's the Omicron subvariant BA two twelve one, which is the newest variant of concern that's making the rounds in the United States. When I checked um, the numbers on the CDC's data tracker, it accounts for. Around a third, they're estimating a third of, uh, of cases up to maybe as many as a half of all current COVID cases in the U.S. This is based on genomic uh, surveillance data, and it is becoming the dominant strain, and it probably will be in the next week or two. So to catch us up, BA2 was uh, the first Omicron subvariant, right? That became the dominant strain in the early spring, and it has since spawned several other mutations uh, on the spike protein compared to the original BA1 Omicron. And it was, to your point, Justin, it was more transmissible than its predecessor because that seems to be how these things are progressing. And this new variant appears to spread more easily, again, like its predecessors. Um, and it may have a better ability to evade immunity, but at this point we need more data and you know, you've heard me say this before, this stuff takes time to, to accumulate the kind of data to know whether it is or is not causing more severe disease. It does take some time. There are some additional subvariants that are out there, BA4, BA5. These have been detected in other countries, places like South Africa. They have not yet really gathered um, a strong foothold in the U.S., but hey, here we go again, right? Yeah, yeah, here we go again. And, um, you know, we know from, uh, let's say, the Omicron variant, 
from the time that Omicron became a word that people were even aware of to the time that it became the dominant strain. That was what, you know, a month maybe? So we definitely live in a global society. We know that these things will transmit very rapidly. And, you know, one of the really... Um, you know, infuriating things about COVID. And I, I, I would even say one of the key things that made this a pandemic is this latent period, the fact that someone can be exposed and have, you know, five days a week until they have symptoms. Um, and part of that, they can be transmissible. So mm-hmm. someone can easily be exposed, get on a plane, go from Johannesburg to New York City, and now suddenly you have one of these new COVID subvariants that's going to be present in the U.S. So I think it's a wise idea to anticipate that we will see that um, and, you know, we're not asking certainly for, for panic or concern. I think a lot of people have these eye rolls of, okay, here we go again. It's another variant. You know, it's another round of, of mandates and lockdowns. No, no, no. I think there's, there's a very smart and very moderate way to go about this, which is for people to be cognizant of what's going on, people to make smart decisions. And again, um, you know, vaccination really is key. Uh, you know, the vaccine is still, especially with that booster dose, it's still holding up in terms of preventing the really serious outcomes uh, with Omicron. I agree with what you said that it, it is a global disease and we certainly have to think globally. Where are the spikes happening right around the world? And we have to be cognizant of that because what's happening right now in South Africa or parts of Asia will probably someday make its way over to the U.S. I think we also have to continue to think of this as an individual disease, too, because yes. Each of these variants, strains, whatever you want to call them, they all started with a single person. Yeah, absolutely. Omicron started in South Africa, probably from some patient zero that we don't really know. And we could have potentially stopped it right there in its tracks if, you know, if we'd had the foresight and the knowledge and, and the proper protocols to shut it down at that time. Yeah, 100%. And, and I think that it, it, the enti- this entire thing has been planted by the numbers, you know, and, and I think, um, you know, that's one of the, the take home points is that, yes, you can certainly, you know, assess your individual risk, um, but it's all percentages. You know, I, I saw, you know, some people would say, okay, I'm young, I'm healthy, I don't need to be vaccinated, I'm low risk for COVID. That's true that you're low risk. Um, but again, this is all playing it by the numbers. So I've seen many, many people who are young, healthy, succumb to COVID, unfortunately, very sad. Mm-hmm. But it's the same thing where, as you said, it only takes one person to have that mutation. And similarly, like we also talked about before, it's a chance thing whether or not this thing will get more or less lethal. So right. again, you can play it by the numbers and say, well, we probably won't have this, probably will not have that. Uh, but we don't know that. Uh, and again, there's precautions we can take right now, which are very moderate, very reasonable. To kind of start to frame this up, what, if anything, with these new variants emerging, what does this mean for us? You said it a minute ago, vaccines are still our best uh, our best protection for the most part, right? A good best offense is a good defense, as they say. Stay home if you're sick, right? I think we're getting to a place now where apathy is the enemy. Everybody's just saying, well, it's, we got to learn to live with COVID, whatever that means. But I don't think that means we need to go to work if we're sick, right? I think we have to break that habit. And, and I really hoped that COVID would help us push out of some of these uh, bad practices. We need to be pushing to get tested if we're sick. It's not, it's, it's not hard to get a test, is it? I mean, last time I checked, it's pretty darn easy to get a test. Um, and we're making sure that we're protecting ourselves when we're out in public, particularly when those cases start to get up there, when those community levels start to tick up from low to medium to high. That's when we all have to be, you know, reacting, putting on our masks and, you know, being more uh, aware of what our personal risk is and the risk of the people around us. 
Yeah, I absolutely agree. And, um, you know, the people that would say that this is sort of fading to the background or that it's a cold or it's a flu, um, it's not. You know, unfortunately, we're, we're just shy of a very sad milestone, which is a million deaths in the mm-hmm. U.S., yeah. Uh, yeah. just shy of that. Um, and, and unfortunately, we'll, we will hit that soon. Um, no flu in the last outside of the last hundred years. Um, you know, it, with the exception of the pandemic that we had a hundred years ago, um, you know, the flu doesn't kill a million people in two years. Right. And and if you if you take a look at the virus that we're getting from the people now, it's the same virus that caused the deadly Omicron surge we had months ago. So, um, you know, it has not gone away. And now that we're in this phase where the virus will circulate in our society, it's going to be there. Um, and it's not, I don't think it's good enough to say, well, we have to learn to live with it because that's a level of mortality and a level of loss that's really not acceptable. Couldn't completely agree. Uh, I want to pivot to talk a little bit more um, with specificity about masks because I've seen it. I'm sure you've seen it. I think that um, weather's getting warmer around here, less uh, likelihood to see people wearing masks out in public. There's this, this, uh, uh, very prevalent sense that the pandemic is over or very nearly over. Um, So the CDC, we talked earlier about community levels and we talked about what that means. And community levels are defined by not just how much COVID a community has, but the proportion of hospitals that are taken up with COVID patients and bed utilization. So it's a pretty good way to quickly sort of quantify how bad the COVID situation is in your community. And if it's low, so if you look at the map on the CDC webpage and it's green, meaning it's low, uh, the recommendation would be to wear a mask based on your personal risk and your personal preference. So if you are a high-risk patient, if you're immune compromised from some underlying uh, you know, condition or from some medication that you take, and I'm going to go out to the grocery store, I'll probably encounter a bunch of people that I don't know. It's probably not a bad idea for me to wear a mask if that's something I feel comfortable with. Um, when you get up to medium, so now you've gone from green to, I think it's yellow at that point. Now we need to be a a little bit more, um, mindful of our situation, not only our situation, but the situation of the people that we come into contact with regularly and people who are at high risk for disease, um, people in our household that are at high risk for disease, we should be wearing masks with more regularity in those situations. And then when we get to high, which is the highest level, now it's orange. Now, really, we should be wearing masks, pretty much all of us, regardless of our individual risk status, regardless of our vaccination status, we really should be defaulting to wearing more masks. Now, fortunately, like I said, we're, we're not seeing a lot of high community level risk in the country right now. That could change. You know, it's, it's mid-May right now. Fast forward two weeks. I don't know what things are going to look like. So I, I encourage people to be aware of what these levels are in your own community and sort of let that guide uh, how you approach masking. Yeah. And I think, I think that's a very, again, that's a very reasonable way to do it. I I know that when I go back months or even a year or two ago, and when incidence was low in the community, a lot of people would, were kind of chafing against the idea of wearing masks. They would Mm -hmm. say, well, why am I doing this? So I think the adaptability is key. Um, and that goes on, that goes both ways. So, you know, from the top down, the guidance that we receive needs to be adaptable to what's going on on the ground level. Uh, but at the same time, I know one of the concerns is that we say, well, if, if we take the masks off when things are good, um, you know, what, what are the, what are the odds that people are willing to put them back on if things get bad? And yeah. I think that's the main concern. 
Uh, that's a, a tough issue, though, because you certainly don't want to get paternalistic and say, well, we know best. How about we keep the masks on all the time because we don't trust people to do the right thing? Um, but that's the point is that we, we are trusting people to do the right thing. Um, and that's why it's really important not to obsess about it, but again, to stay vigilant, to, to just make smart decisions. Yeah, always easy to scale things down, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, people are <laughs> always in a hurry to get those masks off as quickly as they can. And uh, you know, start de-escalating some of the precautions. And by the way, I think it's important to highlight here that in our hospitals, uh, we still require masks all day, every day, especially in our clinical areas. I just like to punctuate this for the people that are listening because we're we're a hospital. I mean, this is a different ball game. We've got vulnerable patients. We've got healthcare providers. We need to keep everybody healthy. You know, having healthy uh, a healthy workforce translates to making sure we have healthy patients. We certainly don't want to see any uh, COVID transmission within our hospitals, even though I must say, unfortunately, it does happen from time to time. We do our best to mitigate those things. So, yes, for the foreseeable future, and who knows for how long, we will be masking in our hospitals. And I think that's a very smart idea. I mean, again, in the hospital, you have uh, a lot of people are there for transmissible diseases. Um, I think that's a very reasonable thing. Yep. And, uh, you know, perhaps just because uh, we're used to it, you know, we're used to being in the hospital setting, we're used to taking care of patients. Um, perhaps I'm, I'm, I'm more used to wearing the mask. But honestly, for the duration of time that I go to the store or, or where it is that I walk inside, uh, it's really not a huge inconvenience for the protection that it provides. Yeah. So let's talk about some other advice that we want to share with the community uh, regarding certain things. So right now it's uh, you know spring, it's prom season. Uh, you know we're starting to see a lot more things pop up on the calendar. We've got wedding season. We've got uh, you know live music is coming back in, you know, sports, uh, whatever is going on. So um, how should we be approaching some of these situations? Can you give us your best advice? For sure, for sure. I think again, I think there's a very reasonable way to do it. Uh, and the first off, first off is as you mentioned, look what the uh, incidence is in the area. You know, if you have high incidence, that's when you might want to think, okay, this is not the right venue or not the right time to have this event. You know, it might very well be that if you waited a month um, or picked a different area, uh, that things would cool down. And also, I think one of the things to pay attention to, and just know where people are coming from too. Mm -hmm. So it's one thing to say, okay, well, you know, for instance, let's say Oakland county's got uh, very low case numbers well if you go to the bar though how many people are not from oakland county they're going to be sitting next to you so again just just have a you know have a good reasonable view of how things look in the community um, and again there are very easy ways to protect yourself and vaccination is still the top one um, you know if you look at the risk reduction of dying or being seriously hurt from covid uh, it's it's tremendous especially with the vaccine plus the booster so it still works it's still holding up against Omicron, um, not as good in terms of preventing the symptomatic infections as it did with the original COVID. But again, it's like that game of telephone. We're several links down the chain now with Omicron. But still, if you want to stay out of the hospital, if you want to um, you know, stay on the right side of the ground, as it were, uh, from COVID, vaccination is still the most important thing. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. I, I would add, you know, right now is a very good time. If you're going to be doing events of any kind, think about ways to do outdoor events, right? We know that your risk of COVID transmission is considerably less. I don't want to say it's zero, but it's pretty darn close to zero if we're outside and we're able to get some space and we have nice air circulating around us. So I'm always telling people, if you have the luxury of, of doing your events outdoors, I think that's a lot better. We talked a little bit a minute ago about testing, but I want to just 
Um, I guess maybe put a finer point on some of that. Definitely still important to get tested if you're having symptoms or if you're in a close contact uh, exposure type situation. If you're positive, you need to be staying home. There's a little bit of fungibility as far as how long, say five days. If you're asymptomatic or mildly symptomatic, up to 10 days, maybe longer if your immune system is compromised in some fashion. Antigen tests are good. PCR tests are good. I think the best answer is, you know, what's the test that you can get uh, fairly readily? Um, there's also at-home tests, which I would argue are, are also very good. So, yeah, I think testing is something that thankfully uh, we've not been too handcuffed with the ability to get good tests. Yeah, for sure. And a lot of, a lot of free options as well. Um, and also that plays into the idea, too, that you mentioned at the beginning with the idea of transmission versus risk. You know, risk right now, because of the fact that we're dealing with variants of different severity and also the fact that people are testing at home, and we may not have access to those numbers either. So the, the real Good barometer point. is going to be risk. So what do the hospitalizations look like? What does mortality look like? Okay, Justin, let's bring this home with, uh, with some final thoughts. So I'll start. I think for me, one final thought that I want to get out there is I think there's a lot of perception that when we start to see these numbers going up again, that, that we're, we're going backwards, right? That we're moving in the wrong direction. And I think that people really bristle at this. So I, I think I'd like to frame this for, in, in people's minds that we're not going backwards. We need to think about this as we, we need to adapt, right? We need to adapt and we need to move in tandem with what we're seeing in our community. So when the numbers start to go up again, we kind of move with it, right? We need to adjust based on what the, our, our community levels and our individual risk is, and we need to make smart choices, right? If, if, uh, if we're in a community where there is medium risk um, and we are a high-risk person because we have underlying medical uh, conditions and we're gonna be going into a crowded environment, use common sense, put your mask on, right? And if you're gonna be going out to say an outdoor barbecue uh, you know with your family members you don't necessarily need to wear a mask in that situation if you're if you're going to be in a safe environment so that's the kind of messaging i want to get into people's minds and and hopefully help us reframe things in a certain way yeah, I agree 100%. Um, and uh, as a parting thought, first off, I'd like to say, um, you know, happy Nurses Week um, to all of our beloved uh, fellow professionals. Um, the work that I've seen people do, uh, both in and out of the hospital, has just been flooring. Uh, it's it's the, the level to which people have stepped up over the last couple of years um, is just unimaginable. Uh, so thank you to all of them and the invaluable work that they do. Um, and then uh, just to briefly piggyback on the thought that you had too, um, I think that's what you said, that's what living with COVID means. Living with COVID is not just accepting that a tremendous number of people will die every year. Living with COVID means implementing reasonable, acceptable, um, and sustainable solutions. Excellent point. I think we'll leave it there. That's about all the information we have time for today. I want to thank Justin for having this important conversation. Thank you. Always my pleasure. I want to remind our listeners to check out beaumont.org slash COVID for all things COVID. And I also want to remind you to send along any questions you might have or suggestions to our email address, which is podcast at beaumont.org. And I will leave you today with this healthy thought. We may be done with COVID, but COVID is not done with us. Not yet. As the virus continues to adapt, we also need to adapt, and that means keeping an eye on what's going on in our community and paying attention to our individual risk factors. Masks, vaccines, and all the things we've discussed remain the best way to keep yourself and your family safe from COVID. Thanks for listening. Continue your journey to living a smarter, healthier life. 
Visit Beaumont.org slash podcast to access information and resources related to today's podcast.